from WDBM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist shares his views on Bob Woodward's decision to save his interviews with President Trump for his forthcoming book, Rage. First, two looks at the presidential campaign. In a few minutes, I'll talk to MSU political scientist Matt Grossman for our weekly conversation. But first, I want to bring in Kyle Malin of Mirrors, the Capital News Service, and a columnist for City Pulse for an assessment of the presidential campaign right here in Michigan. Kyle, you just uh, took a, a trip I'm jealous of, although I don't think I could have done it, uh, but about seven days on a bicycle, central western Michigan, uh, up north. Uh, I'm interested in what you may have observed on the political front. Uh, yeah, well, well, you know, um, there is a, a bike event every year around the Labor Day weekend called Dalmac, uh, named after Dick Allen, former state legislator. And it's a route from the East Lansing, uh, Michigan State campus all the way to uh, Mackinac City. And that was canceled this year because of COVID-19. And so I planned my own. And so uh, I did 500 miles over five days. I started in Lansing and I biked to Holland and then basically went up the coast uh, till I got to um, Mackinac City. And, uh, it, you know, Burl, I, I do a lot of biking and, and uh, have for the last few years, and I, I really get the sense that people are more interested this year in politics than they have been in years past. And they seem more passionate. I saw a lot of Trump flags, but I saw a lot of uh, yard signs for Joe Biden. Uh, I saw a lot of yard signs for state representative candidates, for judicial candidates. It seems like the public is more engaged in politics than year, this year than in years past. Uh, just anecdotally. I think my favorite sign, though, uh, Burl, was a, uh, a, a sign that was posted outside of a house off a dirt road. I think it was in Ionia County. It was a handwritten sign that said, the media is the virus. <laughs> well, uh, that's charming. Uh, what, what, uh, who do you think uh, will benefit from heightened interest in uh, the election? Well, I think the American people actually benefit. I mean, it's good that we're all engaged and we're all talking about issues and so forth. Um, I think it's a good sign for Trump that uh, he's got this kind of enthusiasm in the rural parts of Michigan. Um, and because at times, um, some pe sometimes people aren't interested in voting. Uh, they don't feel like it matters much to them and they're just disinterested in general. Um, but this is the first campaign where people are actually flying real flags outside of their house for a presidential candidate. It's just not good enough to have a yard sign. They've got a banner that they're putting alongside their American flags and flying outside their house. It's just not one or two. There's a lot of people out there flying Trump flags. Uh, so I find that to be, be interesting. A good sign for the Biden folks, though, is uh, back in 2016, I saw very few Hillary Clinton signs. I'm seeing a lot more Biden signs this year. Um, just again, anecdotally, and but I did bike a few miles, so I did get to witness quite a bit. And I did seem to see Biden signs in the country. There wasn't, you know, the Trump ones did outnumber them, uh, but I was interested to see that Biden had some signs out in the country, which again would be a good sign for him. 
Yeah, I'll be in Marquette next week, and it'll be very interesting to see if Joe Biden has uh, made a dent and, uh, as you get to, into even more Republican country. In fact, on the presidential level, uh, Trump uh, needs every vote he can get in the UP, doesn't he? Oh, I think he does. He, does, he needs every vote he can get in northern Michigan, in the um, in, uh, upper peninsula. And I don't think it was any mistake that he came into Freeland, which is outside of Saginaw. That Tri-Cities area there with Bay City, Saginaw, um, and uh, Midland is going to be very critical for him uh, if he has any shot of winning the state again. Uh, rural Genesee County, uh, Macomb County, and these are the areas where he's going to have to really run up totals because he's not going to do it in Oakland. He's not going to do it in Wayne. Uh, he's not going to do it in Kalamazoo or uh, any kind of urban area. Grand Rapids is actually slipping away. I was surprised at how much Biden support I saw in West Michigan. Uh, that tends to be a Republican stronghold. Uh, but the religious right out there are, are not uh, all that enamored with uh, Donald Trump. I think they see him more as a shyster and a pretender. Uh, to their issues and not a true believer, uh, like let's say uh, uh, like a Ted Cruz or or something like that. I mean, somebody who's a real Christian conservative, you know, like like a Patrick Colbeck or something like that. I mean, um, they're a little extreme on the right side, not all that sympathetic on social issues. But you, you get kind of the impression. I mean, I I never really gotten the sense that West, West Michigan's ever really wrapped their arms around Trump like other areas of the state have. So he's got to do well up there in, up, uh, in the Upper Peninsula, Northern Michigan. And, uh, you know, the people are out there. And, uh, you know, 6, 000, 6 million people allegedly are supposed to vote. You're right. Trump's going to need every last one of uh, his supporters to show up to, to give him a shot here. Before we go, let's uh, talk about the uh, Peters uh, John James race. Uh, you enlightened me the other day that uh, Senator Peters may be exaggerating when he says he needs uh, money badly that uh, because he's trailing James in one poll. Uh, what's what's the shape of that race? Well, it is a very competitive race. I mean, no question about it. And there's going to be a flood of outside money. Um, I'm sure folks have seen the television commercials already. Um, uh, they're going on West Michigan and Southeast Michigan, uh, both campaigns and their supporters are, are spending a lot of money. So this is going to be a competitive race as far as the money goes. Um, Peters is not hurting for money. He's got just as much as John James, if not more. Uh, and he's got just as much support from outside interest groups. The difference here for Gary Peters is that he does have the Democratic Senate operation out of DC helping him and they are willing to spend whatever it takes to get him reelected. Uh, he is, if he's not their top priority, he's very close to it. Whereas John James for the Republicans, you know, they have the majority right now. If they can, if they can get a pickup, that'd be nice. Uh, but they're more interested in holding on to the incumbents they have. So, you know, for them, John James is kind of the cherry on top. Whereas uh, for Democrats, Gary Peters is the meat and the main course and the appetizer and everything else. So it, it's more important for the Democrats that Gary Peters win than it is for the Republicans to have John James win. And are the Peters people taking James more seriously than Sabinow did? Uh, yes. Who oh, without question. Without question. I mean, they were running four, Gary Peters and his supporters were running four different types of ads either pro-Peters or anti-James at the same 
time this past week. I mean, that's, that's unprecedented. And I know that a lot of this TV spending is being front-loaded because we're going to be getting absentee ballots here pretty soon and people are going to start voting in about a week or two. So, I mean, that's part of it too, you know, is that you, you don't really want to wait until the last minute because, you know, you might blow it. So there's a lot of front-loading going on right now, but still, um, they are, they're putting everything out there right now. Uh, they're taking James very seriously. He's an attractive candidate. I mean, he really is. And uh, he's got a good story. He presents well. Um, so they're, they're not taking any chances with him. Um, they right. underestimated well, him last time. They're not this time. All right. Well, uh, if nothing else, you've encouraged me to get my bike out of the shed <laughs> and enjoy the sunny weather that we've gotten back to. Kyle Malin from Mirrors, the Capital News Service. Thanks so much for being on City Pulse. Of course, Burl, anytime. You're listening to City Pulse here on 89FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Now let's check in with MSU political scientist Matt Grossman, reviewing developments in the presidential campaign in the last week. Matt, uh, who won the week? <laughs> well, I think you'd have to say that Biden uh, wins uh, any week where nothing uh, dramatically shifts in the race, so he's in a pretty good position. We did see a shift in the issue agenda this week. Um, they seem to switch a little back to COVID and the economy, which had dominated. But we had this two-week period when uh, crime and uh, civil unrest were kind of dominating, um, but it seems to have ebbed a little bit. And why do you say uh, that Biden won the week? Well, we continue to get a series of state and national polls when if you average them together, you know, Biden is still ahead seven or eight points nationally and four or five points in the uh, important uh, states uh, that, that are the tipping point for the election. So he's in pretty good shape. Uh, Democrats also um, continue to show a lead in the generic ballot um, and in major Senate races are doing even better than in the presidential race. Uh, Fox News viewership uh, won August by far. Three and a half million people uh, watched Fox News. Uh, is this symbolic of the divide we're facing? Well, it's it's part of a long trend. Um, uh, Fox News has uh, dominated uh, the the cable ratings for a long time and has come to have a primetime lineup that that does better than. Uh, even the networks. Uh, it tends to be the same people watching repeatedly. Um, so Including it, President Trump. <laughs> it does not necessarily mean that uh, new people are being converted. Um, but uh, what I think is surprising is, you know, under the Obama administration, you saw Fox go up and it was sort of the opposition media. Um, and then under Trump, um, MSNBC has arisen and is mostly Democrats. But uh, Fox has continued to rise. Um, it, you know, ratings doubled again under Trump. Uh, and so uh, it, it continues to have a, a very large audience, but one that is, is mostly repeated and already converted. Uh, and speaking of his base, uh, Steve Schmidt, admittedly an um, anti-Trump Republican the, the political strategist, yeah, says that uh, Trump right now, all he is doing is appealing to his base, and that's a political weakness. Uh, what do you think? Is he, first of all, is that all he's doing? And is that a political weakness? Well, it is true uh, that uh, Trump keeps running the same play, uh, no matter what. He believes it won him the 2016 election. Um, I think 
you know, if you look at the, we've talked about this before, but if you look at the national house vote in 2016, Republicans outperformed Trump by three percentage points. Uh, the 2018 race, um, people who were more affiliated with Trump on the Republican side lost more. Um, so there's no sign yet that, that, uh, he is, uh, you know, deploying the best strategy and, um, you know, Republicans are, are better off with it. Um, there is still an opportunity to get what we sort of think of as, as Trump's base, the, the white, lower educated, uh, older voters, because Biden is doing better with those constituencies than did Hillary Clinton. So uh, it's possible that it could appeal to them, um, but it's also possible that it's, uh, the strategy has run its course. I'm talking to uh, Matt Grossman, MSU political scientist, as we do every week about the 2020 presidential campaign. You're listening to, w, uh, to 89FM here on The Impact. Uh, uh, Matt, uh, another uh, Republican strategist, Mike Murphy, says that uh, you, we got, really, there aren't 50-some days left. There are fewer than 40 in Michigan when ballots start going out and Trump is just wasting his time. Well, uh, we always have a tendency to say the election is starting earlier and it is. On the other hand, the people who vote early are not undecided voters traditionally. So um, the, the earlier you vote, probably the more likely you are to have uh, made up your mind months ago. So it's not clear that that is um, the kind of swing constituency. Um, but yeah, I do think overall more votes will be cast earlier. And so the possibility for a last week swing, like we saw last time, is probably less uh, this election than in 2016. And probably even less than it was, I guess, in the Obama-McCain race when the economy uh, interfered pretty much right on time for Obama to capitalize on it. Uh, now we've seen you know, some big stories of the, in this week, uh, Trump on combat veterans, Trump saying you can get COVID uh, through the air. Uh, are these lasting bombshells uh, or are these part of a drip, drip, drip? Uh, where do these fit in? Well, there's a lot of uh, potential game changers that end up not being very important. So um, it's unlikely that, that many votes were, were shifted this week. On the other hand, um, both of these stories kind of confirm people's uh, long-running suspicions about Trump, and those are pretty baked in. And so any uh, reminder of uh, the, the fact that, that Trump lies often uh, or uh, that Trump um, says different things in private than in public about his uh, constituents um, does, you know, does uh, help make the Democratic case. And, uh, and that doesn't even uh, talk about Trump's comment on uh, Woodward uh, drinking the Kool-Aid when he asked him if Trump understands the anger and pain Black people feel. Matt, uh, t uh, talk to me about polarization. Well, the uh, last couple weeks, uh, there really was this fear that um, we were going to see uh, descent into electoral violence. We saw a couple of examples. Um, thankfully, that has uh, calmed down somewhat um, this week. Um, and we are getting some new evidence about kind of the extent of polarization. So the bad news is there is about 10 or 15 percent of uh, people in each political party that are willing to express um, 
support for things that sound like political violence. And that's a huge set of communities on, on both sides. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, of course, mean that we'll see uh, violence in the streets, but it means that there, there's a big enough base um, that if uh, mobilized and encouraged, as we've seen Trump do sometimes, um, that could be a real uh, potential threat. The better news is that our view of polarization, we're getting more evidence now that maybe we've overstated a little bit the culture war in the broader public. That is, a lot of people's negative views of the other political party are mostly based on the political elites, not the people in each political party. Um, that, that is, Democrats hate Trump, but they're not, they don't necessarily hate the average Republican. And to the extent that they hate the average Republican, it's based on a misnomer. They're kind of imagining that uh, daily Fox News viewer who believes in some kind of QAnon conspiracy and talks about politics all the time. And there's a new experiment that shows that once people learn that both the average Republican and the average Democrat are not too politically interested, not all that engaged, and, and not all of that, not all that extreme, then their uh, views of the other party are actually pretty, pretty moderate. Uh, well, uh, that's a good note to close on. I saw a headline in uh, USA Today, I think, that Pence is going to speak today or this weekend to QAnon supporters. So <laughs> perhaps Pence is not the average Republican. Uh, Matt Grossman, uh, talk to you next week. Thanks so much for being on City Pulse. Thank you. And you're listening to City Pulse here on 89FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. So in uh, President Trump's uh, self-defense, he suggested that uh, reporter Bob Woodward, if he thought he had such hot news uh, in his uh, forthcoming book, Rage, would have reported it back at the time. And uh, uh, as we know, the book reports that Trump said in, on February 7th that uh, you can get COVID through the air and uh, yet uh, was telling the public uh, that uh, there wasn't a big danger from COVID. I want to bring in now uh, Eric Friedman, a professor of journalism at MSU and a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter from his days at the Detroit News. Eric, uh, I, it got me thinking about what was the ethical thing to do in this case. What are your thoughts on uh, Bob Woodward's decision to hold it for his book in sort of a John Bolton style? Well, I've read a lot of the criticism from journalists and others that he should have said something early. And I've also read his defense. And frankly, I'm convinced by his, his defense for two reasons. One is he's no longer a reporter. He doesn't work for the Washington Post. He has an honorary title, but he doesn't do daily journalism. He's a book author, and that's how he's been making his living Second, this was one conversation out of 18 over a period of time. It came at a time when nobody knew the likely extent of the pandemic. And I think that had he come out with it right away, A, he would have blown his chances for future interviews and thus no book and no deeper insights into how the president thinks. And secondly, he would have been accused of baseless political attacking of the president based on one interview 
and maybe a little bit of background work. So would it have made a difference? I don't think any of the criticism of the president from the beginning for his response to the pandemic would have led him, hit the president to change his policies or raise the profile of the government efforts or reduce the political intervention in what the administration was and was not doing about fighting it. I think it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, Woodward uh, said uh, in his self-defense that uh, he, it wasn't until May that he could verify the truth of what Trump told him in that recording, yeah, which raises an interesting question. <laughs> I, because I know, I, you know, I've been a journalist a few years. Uh, I, I treat it as a coincidence when we print the truth uh, it's about printing what people say and giving others a chance to respond. What, what do you think about his defense? First of all, we're not mind readers. So when I see something that says, Senator so-and-so believes or representative so-and-so feels, we can't know what they truly believe. We only know what they tell us or what other people tell us that they have said. And whatever goes through this president's mind is, I think, beyond analysis uh, is, as to whether it's a, a verifiable fact, uh, a likely fact, an urban legend, or an out-and-out -out lie. Uh, I think the president likes to be inflammatory, and whether it's an interview with an individual like happened here or with an audience of supporters or with congressional critics that's how his mind works in that strange way in which there is no clear demarcation between what's factually verifiable and what's not yeah it, it was interesting that uh, apparently uh, the president thought he could spin Bob Woodward, uh, probably a big mistake. <laughs> well, I didn't see what he had to gain from it. It's, a, it's all ego, but he has enough people, psychophants who are writing things in his support and, and in his defense. And why go after somebody who has a, a record of chopping off lots of high profile heads? What makes you think that he's going to treat you differently than he treated the other presidents and other public officials he's written about both as a journalist and as a book author. I wonder if it may be time for uh, someone to be doing a biography of Woodward. Uh, he is in a unique position. Yeah. You know, he, I think if you had a Hall of Fame, he'd be there probably next to Cronkite and a you know, you others. Well, Eric Friedman, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on this. I've enjoyed it, Pearl. Thank you. Well, that's most of our show. Thanks to Skylar Ashley for producing it. For City Pulse, I'm Burl Schwartz. Thanks for listening.